We just, as you know, just a few weeks ago, completed a, uh, what has been a dream of my wife's for a long time, to take the family and go around the country, uh, and we, we did part of that. We, we completed a tour around the northern part of the U.S. I need to move this where, actually, there we go. My eyes, as you know, are at that stage where if I'm not close enough to this light, I can't see anything on my Bible or my notes. Um, but anyway, we, we uh, had a great time together. We, we traveled across um, South Dakota, saw the Badlands and Mount Rushmore. We went into North Dakota and had a wonderful time with the Troutman family. And we visited with them for several days and went camping with them in Montana. And then from there, we went into Yellowstone and Wyoming and saw that and had a side trip into Idaho, which we weren't expecting, but that was, Idaho is a beautiful state as well. From there, we went down into Utah, and smack dab in the middle of Utah is where we stopped short um, as we, we broke down. I mean, Utah is sort of a square, so it's kind of a box-like thing, a shape. If you were to connect the four corners of the box and draw an X in the middle where your X meets, that's pretty much where we we're stuck for four days and in this little village called Salina, Utah. We had, we had a good time there, as good as we could have, um, but we didn't have any means of transportation. And so we had to walk into town to go to this diner or to go to the grocery store or the hardware store. And um, as we walked into town, it was about a mile every, every day or whatever, there was a gas station on, on the left side of the road, had two very interesting signs out front. Uh, the main sign, which was the main sign for the, for the gas station convenience store, said that it sold ice cold soda and beep. We still don't know what beep is. That's B-E-E-P. I know what, I'm sorry, I think it's ice cold pop, wasn't it? I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, I know what soda is or pop. But I'm not sure what beep is. Now, I'll just head you off at the pass. It's not beer, because this, was the, this wasn't the little letter tiles. Like, they didn't have enough letter R's, and so they substituted a P. This was the, the actual painted, printed, si permanent sign on the store. So if anybody here knows what beep is, please let me know. Also, the flip side of the sign said the exact same thing. So they sold ice-cold soda and beep. But there was another sign in the store that said, and this was in those little letter tiles like we have down here, it said, stop playing Jumanji. <laughs> stop playing Jumanji. Jumanji, of course, is a reference to that uh, movie. The first one came out in 1995. I know that only because I looked it up. But it's a film series where the characters are sucked into this imaginary game, and the original one, they're sucked into a board game, and in sequels following movies, um, they get sucked into video games where crazy, crazy things happen. Uh, crazy becomes reality. I mean, rhinoceroses run through the dining, your dining room, and the characters have superhuman strength and skills and three lives. And when your third life is up, game over. You're done. And, and so that's the game. And, and so I think... The meaning of that second sign was that 2020 has been somewhat like a big game of Jumanji where crazy things have been happening from start to where we are right now. 
I haven't had rhinoceroses run through the living room yet or the dining room, but what, nothing would surprise us at this point. Um, I want to hit some of the highlights, or perhaps you'd call them the lowlights of 2020. Uh, it began, as near as I can tell, right near the beginning of January in Jakarta, Indonesia, with devastating flooding that caused over 400, almost half a million people to leave their homes and flee. That's a lot of people to have to relocate. Um, Australia has had wildfires that began in the summer of 2019 but are, are burned out of control through, through, through 2020. Um, to date, 46 million acres have been scorched, left 450 people dead in Australia because of these wildfires. Some of you are wrinkling your brow like, I didn't even know this. Right, because life in America has been rather crazy and we're distracted from all these things. I don't even want to talk about COVID-19 or explain what it is. We're sick of it. And we, we know what it is. Um, hundreds of thousands around the world are dead. Future students of history, I'm convinced, are going to be totally perplexed by this one. Because COVID, um, the virus, COVID virus 2019 came out at the end of 2019, but affects us in 2020. So I think future students of history are always going to get that answer wrong on quizzes. Uh, what year did the pandemic hit the U.S.? What year did COVID-19 hit the U.S. or the world? Well, not 2019. It actually hit us in 2020. Um, we all know Kobe Bryant uh, passed away in a terrible helicopter crash with his daughter and eight others. Any sports fans were devastated by that news. There was a Ukrainian airliner shot down over Iran, a 737. Everybody on board died. Of course, we have the, the killing of George Floyd, which sparked um, riots and just destruction all across the country. Uh, the shutdown with, due to COVID caused global economic the economies to crash and stock market crashes. Businesses are closing all around us. Um, deaths, we lost this year. Charlie Daniels, Hugh Downs, Jerry Stiller. Any Seinfeld fans here? Um, Little Richard, Tutti Frutti, and Good Golly Miss Molly. Um, they all left us this year. We had, just on Friday, a terrible incident in Hummel's Wharf where there was a shooting that left two people dead. And um, right here. You know, these are the kind of things that we, you think happen somewhere else. But this was right here in places that we frequent with actually people that we, we know or have met. Um, little John Francis's accident proves to us that trouble is all around us and it even affects children. I, I, and to lighten the mood a little, I hope it lightens the mood, I discovered this article came off the wire yesterday. It says, zombie outbreak is possible. Okay? I'm going to read a little bit of this because it's almost unbelievable. I want to get it right. A zombie outbreak could occur, and it would only take the evolution of one virus or parasite. It's one of the greatest fears of humanity, inspired by a bulk of Hollywood movies, and scientists do believe that a zombie outbreak could happen. While it would be impossible to believe that the dead would rise and feed on the living, experts do believe that a parasite could affect the brain or a virus could do the same. A parasite known as Taxoplasmosa gondii, don't ask me to repeat that, 
is known to infect the brains of rodents. This parasite then manipulates the rodent's behavior to make it fearless around cats. And that's where the parasite hopes to end up. The parasite has the ability to make the rodent head towards cats, where it will be eaten. However, what worries scientists is how similar rats and humans are, which is why they're used for drug testing and medical breakthroughs. It's already believed, get this, that half of the humans around the world have a dormant version of this parasite on their brains already. <laughs> Nevertheless, for some with... Um, any, I'll skip that paragraph. Um, one scientist involved in a study said that the team tested the parasite on mice, which then became unfazed in the presence of a predator. She warned that the toxoplasma is dangerous. The idea that this parasite knows more about our brains than we do and has the ability to exert desired change in complicated rodent behavior is absolutely fascinating. Toxoplasma has done a phenomenal job of figuring out mammalian brains in order to enhance its transmission through a complicated life cycle. Other experts believe that this virus will ultimately turn the human race into zombies. Just, you know, to make 2020 even better. Uh, that's, that's that story off the wire yesterday. Uh, without a doubt, we live in a really weird world. Really messed up world. And the audience to whom Paul was writing saw trouble in their own world too. And it, it caused them to, to ask not who was playing Jumanji, but it, asked, it caused them to ask some questions, some theological questions, some questions about their faith. I'm going to read to you uh, the remainder of the, well, some more of the passage that Pastor Brad read to us from Romans 8. And I'm going to read to you, beginning in verse 12, what was going on in the minds of the people to whom Paul was writing. And he says in verse 12, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 
And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we perse- with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. This letter that Paul wrote to the, to the Romans is a series of statements, doctrinal statements by the Paul the Apostle. Each doctrinal statement is followed by what he would foresee as the next possible objection to the statement that he just made. So it's a statement of a hypothetical objection and then a rebuttal or a response to that objection. And they're all hypothetical objections, but they're all very realistic. I truly believe that if Paul had not foreseen what the objection would be, he would have had to answer these at another time anyway. He would have been forced to. And here, in this case, the objection is this. If the believer in Christ Jesus is is freed from sin, freed from death, freed from sin's power, is no longer a slave, is given victory and and is uncondemned, as he just spelled out in the previous chapters in Romans 6, 7, and, and 8. The question is this, then why am I still mortal? Why am I still affected by disease and death? And why is life hard? Bottom line, if I'm freed from all these effects of sin, then why do I suffer? And I don't think there's a more appropriate time to ask that question than in a crazy year like 2020. Whether on a global scale or a personal scale, the question is the same. Why do I suffer? If I'm living in this new dynamic in Christ, why do I still see the curse of sin all around me? As the sign of the gas station said, who's playing Jumanji? Um... There are still people who believe that, that there's healing in the atonement. And these people would believe that um, the blood of Jesus will heal you from sin, but it will also heal you from sickness. And, and all you have to do is claim it. If you have enough faith, if your faith is sincere enough, that, that illness will not touch you, you'll be healed. And let's be honest, do we see that happening? We don't see it happening in practice. This scripture that we're looking at today refutes that belief. It makes me answer, ask the question, if that's the case, then why do godly men and women die at all? I don't understand why they'd ever get sick. And Paul's answer, I'm going to give you the answer, and then we'll, in, in 
succinct form, and then we'll look at it in the expanded form. His answer is twofold. He says, first of all, since Christians are part of creation which has been cursed, we have to wait for sin's curse to be lifted on all of creation. It's not just us that gets a free pass and we're out of this. You know, no trouble for you. That's not the case. We live in a world that's cursed by sin, and so we're going to be affected by it. But his second response is this. In the meantime, you and I have the Holy Spirit of God to help us through troubled times. So the question is, why do I suffer? The answer is, because I live in a world that's cursed by sin, but in the meantime... We have the Holy Spirit. Now let's, let's jump into this and look at this a little bit more closely. Look at verse 19. Here he says, For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Get this. There's nothing at all in me and you, believers, that sets us apart on, on, the, on the physical realm from unbelievers. There's nothing at all that sets us apart. There's no symbol. There's no, like Jews had to wear stars of David under, under the Nazi regime in, in Germany, in, in Poland. There's, imagine if you could identify other believers by the color of their hair or some external symbol. That would be, if, if everybody dyed their hair the color of Tiffany's, um, we would know who one another were, Right? Pastor Brad, you should do it. <laughs> we love your hair, Tiffany. But, but there's none of that. And so, uh, there, there's, there are, however, I think, non-physical identifiers. I'll give you an example. Uh, when my family and I were in Mount, Mu- Mount, Mushmore, Mount Rushmore, we were climbing the trails and, and looking at the sites there, and we came upon this family that honestly we just asked them stopped and asked them if they would take our picture and immediately I sensed in my spirit that these were believers why I I couldn't tell you exactly what it was that cued me into that we began talking and we found out that not only are there believers but he was a pastor on vacation, and uh, he and his wife both graduated from uh, Baptist Bible College, two hours up the road, uh, Clark Summit University now, and there we met out in South Dakota. And, and I said to Trish at the time, I said, you know, we shouldn't, why should I be surprised that the Holy Spirit within me would not recognize the Holy Spirit in another person? You know, so that, that happens. But here in verse 19, creation, the earth, the bees, the, the wind, the trees, light, water, it wants to know who believers are and it waits patiently for our revealing. That's curious to me. Don't ask me any more questions about that. I don't really know. But why would creation be filled with expectation for the sons of God to be revealed? Why does it care? Well, the answer is given. 
Because creation itself at that time is also going to be freed from the curse that it lives under, it exists under, and it can't wait. Look at verses 19 again, verse 19, 20, and 21. It says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That word futility is the same word that is used in in Ecclesiastes as that word vanity, where the preacher says over and over again, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's empty, it's futile, it's it's worthless. And in Ecclesiastes, it is death that makes everything vanity. So also with creation. Remember, God cursed not only mankind in, at, at the fall. Go back to Genesis 3. Keep your finger here in Romans. Go back to Genesis 3. And, and here we have the account of the serpent coming and beguiling the woman. She takes the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She eats, she gives to her husband Adam, who was with her, very passive, very inactive, allowing his wife to be, to be deceived and beguiled. I, I've told you many times before, I believe original sin was not eating the fruit, but the passivity of Adam, who stood by and did nothing. But in that, at this time, we have, God then comes down to the garden, and he, he asks, he says, what have you done in verse 13 to the woman? And the woman makes an excuse and says, the serpent deceived me. And so the Lord God turns to the serpent and he curses the serpent. He pronounces a curse on the serpent. Then he looks at at the woman and he pronounces in verse 16, a curse on the woman. And he says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. And then he And he expounds on on that. And he turns to the man, and he curses the man. And he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree which I told you, you shall not eat from it. And he pronounces curses on the man. But in the middle of verse 17, he also curses the earth. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will grow. And so we don't usually think of that. But even as it was being cursed at the very beginning of time or beginning of creation, there was hope because we still have Genesis 3.15 that says at the second half, he will bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. There's this, the first promise of a deliverer in Genesis 3.15. And so back in in Romans 8, verse 21, we have this promise in Romans 8, 21, that creation itself also will be set free from slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is going to be set free. Free from the slavery to corruption. Free from everything that it suffers. And, And verse 22 says that while 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. I don't think that that groaning is groaning of, of agony. I think rather it's groaning of expectation. Think about Thanksgiving Day, kids. Or think back to your time as a child. You woke up Thanksgiving morning and it wasn't long that you heard your mother out in the kitchen. And the oven was going, and the pots were clanking, and she, she worked, and by 8 or 9 o'clock, the house smelled of food. What did you do? Oh, that smells good. I remember running to the kitchen to see what was cooking. What kind of pies are there? Where's that turkey? And yet, you... you you wouldn't dare, you wouldn't dare taste any turkey or cut yourself a piece of pie at nine o'clock in the morning on Thanksgiving Day. Jen, what would have happened? <laughs> she wouldn't even talk about that. Her mom's right there. Um, and as, as noon approaches, dinner time approaches, your hunger builds. It was just, I think, last night. We were outside. It was late. We hadn't had supper yet. And Jaden just started the, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> and he started to groan. And that's what happens. That builds as, as lunchtime approaches, dinnertime comes. Um, and, and you groan. And then Dad comes out, and he, he carves the turkey. No, not at our house, I know. Not at our house. But And if you're lucky... You can go over to, the, to where the turkey's being carved and you can pull a nice juicy piece of dark meat off and pop it in your mouth and that satisfies all your hunger right away, right? No. Nope. Now you get that little taste of what's to come and the groaning just is amplified. It just builds all the more. You know, so it is with us, so it is with creation, as the Holy Spirit lives within us and gives us just a little taste of what true glory is. And when we get that little taste, it makes us long all the more for that day when we will ultimately totally be glorified, completely free from sin's curse. But in the meantime, Christians still get cancer. They still suffer car wrecks. They still fall through holes in the barn. We still suffer. And it prompts the question, why? Why wouldn't God just free us ultimately the moment we're saved? Boom. No more curse. No more, no more tears. No more pain. No more sorrow. Wouldn't that be great? He doesn't, and he doesn't do so for a reason. Look at verses 24 and 25. For it is in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... 
with perseverance, we eagerly await for it. I'll ask you a simple question. What's better, Christmas Eve or the day after Christmas? Everybody knows Christmas Eve is better. Why? There's something wonderful. There's something beneficial. There's something good about waiting. There's something good about expectation. And so, so then, is there absolutely no difference at all between the believer and the unbeliever and we go through hard times in life? Yes, there is a difference, isn't there? There's a big difference. And the difference is we have the Holy Spirit of God. And he's the intercessor for us while we suffer. So many times, I just don't know how to pray. I don't have the words to say. I want to, but I don't know what is, I don't know how, what I should be asking for. I, I don't know what, what's the outcome that I even desire. Or perhaps sometimes the, the need is so great that words don't even come to your mouth or to your mind. Physical illness or injury, when, when it looks like there's really no hope of a full recovery, you struggle with how to pray. Or sometimes when there's, there's some kind of suffering that you're enduring and, and you don't know, is, is this something I should pray for deliverance from or is God trying to teach me something? I think of Paul. He prayed three times for what he called his thorn in the flesh. And three times he was told the answer, my grace is sufficient for you. There was a lesson he was to learn instead of deliverance. And, and the Holy Spirit allows us to experience that and understand that. But when we, when we go through sufferings like like we are, or you, if you're not suffering, you will someday. We don't go through those troubles alone. Remember that. We go through them with the, with the comfort and the help of the Holy Spirit of God. I want to read just a few closing verses here where verse 26, and Paul says, and in the same way also, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purposes. That's a verse that is thrown around so many times at times of pain and suffering. Um, often, I think, misunderstood, misapplied. My best description, explanation I can give you of that verse is this, that there are times in our life where God may choose, as a deliberate choice act of his will, God may choose to set aside our temporary happiness in order to accomplish a far greater good work, far greater work for his eternal 
for our eternal good and his eternal glory. I botched that. God may choose to set aside our temporary happiness in order to accomplish a far greater work for my eternal good and for his eternal glory. And the nice thing about being a believer in Christ is, is knowing that we serve a God who knows what's best. He, he knows what's best for me. And, and if trouble comes, it's, it's for one of two reasons. It's either for my good or for his glory or both. And as we go through that tr- hard time, the Holy Spirit is there to minister to us. I'm thankful for that. Are you? 2020 is only halfway over. There are six more months coming. <laughs> I hope it gets better. <laughs> I really do. But whatever it is that comes, our God is in control. Creation is, it's, we're not alone. Creation is waiting and eagerly groaning for this to all be over. Just like you and I are groaning. And in the meantime, we can trust a loving God who has given us the Holy Spirit to comfort us and he does all things for our good. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray together and um, we'll be dismissed then. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness to us.